Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Director of IBM Digital Assets and CTO of Portal. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening wherever you are in the world, uh, welcome to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin, where we discuss various micro and macro factors that shape up this increasing digitization of the world around us. My friend and co-host Derek uh, is, is away traveling today and, and I will be running solo today. And, and, but I do have another great friend, an amazing and most brilliant data scientist, uh, Petro Zephros, joining us as a guest today. But before I introduce him, uh, a few housekeeping notes. If you like the podcast, please like and comment as we continually aspire to improve the content, both in quality and relevancy. And this is just a discussion appealing to the intellectual attitude and not an investment advice. So having said that, last week, we spent some time, Derek and me, discussing the importance of market data. We talked about price and value and efficient market hypothesis. We mentioned that price is what you pay, value is what you get, and efficient market hypothesis is sort of the calculus that lets you get the best price, which is where the asset pricing comes into play, and to maximize the best value, which goes into risk adjustment, forecasting, prediction, with all the data available to us. And the efficient market hypothesis says that if, if, if all the data is available to everyone all the time, it's impossible to beat the market, because in, in, in some cases, you, you, you balance the demand and supply, and, 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 and that equilibrium is, is maintained. In traditional markets, uh, you have market data providers, which have evolved over the last three or four decades. We discussed challenges with crypto markets. Crypto markets never sleep. The challenge of data aggregation, pricing, and risk is quite enormous. And this, believe it or not, is a huge challenge in crypto asset industry where market that deals with asset classes, different types of asset classes, new asset classes that are emerging in this space. And unlike traditional market, there is no open and close that can define the highs and lows. Uh, and so we need to rely upon moving averages and temporal windows, which is time snapshots of the data to make sense of, of, of this high speed uh, sort of world that revolves around crypto assets. And the velocity and veracity of data has, has its own analytical challenges in terms of collecting the data, analyzing the data and, and getting insight from it. So with that as a background, a summary of last week's call, and this is certainly a continuation of last week's call, um, it's my great pleasure to invite Petro Zafros. It's truly a brilliant data scientist, uh, you know, to share his experience with us. Uh, Petros, I met Petros at IBM, and we just purely out of intellectual curiosity got to talk about crypto, and, and I shared my experience, and he's, he rolled up his sleeve and said, let me get to work. And three weeks later, he had this amazing idea and left to share some of that experience with us. So Petros, welcome. Uh, really great to have you on podcast and tell our audiences a bit about you, your passion and your intersection with digital assets, crypto and blockchain. Thank you, uh, Nitin. And um, thank you to both of you and Derek for inviting me to the podcast in this very kind of timely and very exciting topic, which is the crypto markets. Um, I am a research scientist and I'm at IBM Research. Um, I've been looking over the past several years into various um, applications of um, 
machine learning techniques, um, time series analysis, natural language processing, all sorts of um, artificial intelligence techniques for the performance um, modeling and management of uh, large-scale distributed infrastructures. That's kind of my canonical <laughs> uh, <laughs> type of work description. Um, now, um, having said that, of course, um, all these kind of techniques, um, um, statistical um, um, analysis techniques, are um, uh, kind of also applicable uh, into the exciting, of course, area of financial markets, in particular, the crypto markets, which, is, which are very um, nascent. Uh, there's all sorts of tokens created um, almost on a daily basis, I would say. And um, as you said very well, because of their openness, there is a flood of information coming from yeah. all sorts of sources. Uh, to some degree, they might be even more open just by virtue of um, living on a blockchain, which is transparent and auditable yeah. by everyone. Uh, might even be more available data um, compared to the more kind of traditional markets. So um, thanks for kind of inviting me in this kind of uh, exciting yeah. adve adventure, I would say. <laughs> <It's been a laughs> it truly nice is an adventure. learning experience for me as well. <laughs> yeah. It still is, of course. No, absolutely. But you know, I think the first part you said was sounded very smart. Uh, of course, having worked with you, uh, there's a combinatorial element of, you know, data science and looking into the distributed system because they go hand in hand. But share with us uh, the challenge. And, and, and I think you were pretty conservative if, if, if you're suggesting that we have tokens coming on a daily basis. I think we come to a point when every hour there's, there's a new piece of information coming out there. Like exactly. we have this token and we have this airdrop and it, it's almost maniacal to simply keep up with this information. And, and that leads to all kinds of, of uh, meme-driven pricing valuation all over the map, right? And, and, and tell us more, one, about this flood of information as you have tried to shape the research methodology around portal asset management. And, you know, as, as we discussed last time with Derek uh, Petros, that we want to have method to the madness, right? In the sense exactly. that how do we pick uh, the right tokens, which will give us the sanity and yet be relevant to the market in terms of the factor analysis that you introduce in the research methodology. Tell us a little bit more about that approach that you took to codify uh, some element of maturity. For example, Bitcoin, uh, you know, has, has been there for over a decade. And so is Ethereum. And there's enough market data, there's enough market maturity. And there was a, there was a little uh, podcast I'm listening to again uh, to make our show better from uh, SBF, who you know is is the founder of of FTX, and he was generally talking about the fact that in 2018 timeframe there was this arbitrage opportunity between Japan and the U.S. when you had this massive, uh, you know, you had different order books, and you could if if you knew how to you know work in both markets, and now of course that has leveled and the margins have lowered a lot quite a bit but the volumes have increased and there's still opportunity but it's not as the spread isn't as wide as it used to be back in the day so with that context tell us a bit more and educate us petros in terms of how you've viewed this industry and how you would like to progress this in terms of bringing uh, the structure to this complicated and very chaotic space yeah no that's a very good question um, it's a very chaotic space, I think, and that's uh, kind of what describes it the best, right? right. Um, there are all sorts of information of um, data that is coming. Um, and I have to say that um, one of the main things that you immediately kind of notice uh, compared to the more kind of traditional markets, as you go over kind of uh, learning kind of the literature and um, reading, of course, what has been done in the various um, 
um, kind of um, approaches of the asset pricing uh, kind of um, literature, you immediately um, notice uh, and realize that, of course, the crypto markets are not mature, right? They're still uh, evolving. <laughs> There's not enough history for most of these tokens, right, that are produced on a daily or um, hourly basis. Um, and uh, that creates, of course, uh, challenges in terms of both um, um, kind of having sufficient data uh, for the quantitative analysis of having um, essentially um, robust ways um, to um, estimate um, several of the characteristics and the quantities of these uh, tokens, um, as well as something that um, one immediately notices is the lack of, um, in some sense, um, standardization and uniformity of um, the various metrics um, um, that exist out there and continuously yeah. are being added. Um, the more kind of um, the other kind of asset classes, the more classical ones from uh, equities to commodities uh, have gone yeah. through that process <laughs> of the past uh, easily 40 to 50 years. Even there, actually, there are challenges of um, uh, non-consistent, kind of inconsistent definitions, for example. What is value, right? There's probably, you know, like 10 different ways of, uh, you know, <laughs> describing quantitatively what value is, right? right. Um, as well as other, for example, uh, factors. Uh, so much more in the crypto space. This is even more challenging and, if I may say, continuously evolving. Literature itself of uh, asset pricing uh, for crypto markets is um, rather recent uh, compared to the more kind of classical finance uh, domain over the past, let's say, six to seven years. Uh, as you mentioned, Bitcoin is the only token or uh, <laughs> yeah. cryptocurrency that has enough quote unquote um, history uh, behind it, uh, having started in 2008. Um, so um, this kind of uh, lack of um, standardization, uh, non-uniformity of uh, metrics, um, very different kind of economics as well as use cases behind these um, 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 tokens and the cryptocurrencies is also another challenge. Um, for example, the, um, the tokens uh, that um, live on blockchains that support um, um, smart contracts have the ability to lock value, whereas some others that are purely for storage of value or transfer of assets lack this kind of ability to lock value, right? Um, that essentially um, has implications with respect to certain kind of metrics uh, that can be used. So there's a, there's a um, wild west, if I may say, out there <laughs> in terms of both data as well as metrics. And uh, we're trying uh, to put some method to the madness, mostly by trying to leverage some of the learnings um, over the past several decades of um, asset pricing literature, uh, in also in such a way that is um, um, interpretable uh, and easy to explain to someone that takes a more kind of fundamental approach, both to um, crypto token selection, as well as to the portfolio construction. No, I think that's a that's a great insight and observation, Petros, and I, I I couldn't agree with you more. I think when we had a discussion last week with Derek, we talked about the lack of this classification, right? If you look at our industry, for example, involved yep. in 30, 40 years, right, that that you had this transportation, media, entertainment, exactly how you know most tech companies and have classified their service to the industry. Say, hey, this group is going to handle media entertainment. This group is going to handle telco. Because that classification right. led for us to be able to provide synergies 
or counter synergies between the different industry groups as they move in different opposite direction that leads to, you know, a narrative behind how markets perform. That's exactly. missing, right? The narrative is missing. Where Very much so. It's subjective. Everything is like, there's no science behind the whole thing. And so while we were doing this, uh, of course, me and you have worked on this in terms of what uh, I think Coindesk has attempted to make this called Digital Asset Classification System or DAX. Yeah. And me and you have been doing this now for over eight plus months and creating the classification of our own in effort to understand the industry better. And yes. as we're having this conversation, I, you know, before you joined the effort, I was looking at this manual way of essentially classifying Web 3.0, layer one, layer two, asset management, decentralized exchanges. And now you have new categories like NFT platforms and data and and so this, this whole industry continues to grow, uh, both in terms of its, its uh, you know, much crowded tokens that, that populate it, but also in, in terms of its categories, which we don't see exactly. in classical markets. We don't see a new industry emerge uh, as fast as we begin to see, which makes this process a bit more complicated. And so when we're doing this journey, we looked into having some criteria to, to navigate this madness to say, we will only work with projects which have four plus years old. We'll work with tokens that have a market cap of let's say 400 million, blah, blah, blah. Like we had all this criteria. And you brilliantly, I would say, what took me eight, nine weeks, you quantified that over a weekend. I think you're being too, too nice. Yeah. <laughs> you you <laughs> spot it out and say, hey, here's the class, you know, here's what this, and which give us a, Tell us more about what that multi-factor elements were. And second thing I think you were looking into is, which I thought was, which made me think a lot and research a lot, Petros is, uh, you know, which is, and we will not mention the Elon Musk word, but it's about noise and, and you know, removing the noise and focusing on signal, so to speak. And you've said this over and over, over again on, on our research calls. Tell us a bit more about that, because I think our audience will greatly benefit from that insight that you've gathered over time. Definitely. Um, first of all, I'll start um, um, with what you mentioned about the industry classification. Um, actually, just kind of a few hours ago, I was checking when did the first industry classification for the equity universe came right. out, and that was in 1999, right, from MSCI. Sure. <laughs> Since then, uh, actually two or three years after that, uh, there's been other industry classifications, there's been studies on which industry classifications are actually more the most representatives of the sectors and the industries in the kind of classical equities market that they kind of try to put a structure around. And uh, then I was taking when uh, the digital uh, um, assets classification came out and the announcement was on um, on the uh, 14th of December, 2021, which is barely <laughs> four or five months ago, right? <laughs> so speaking of something that is completely nascent. And um, this is actually very important at the same time because for um, uh, methodologies, for example, of asset pricing that are based out of factors, right? Essentially the various drivers that you try to identify that might be driving the evolution of asset returns. One of the categories, one of the classes that you want to take into account and start actually hedging out are those that uh, have to do with the overall economic environment, right? Essentially factors, characteristics that describe um, industries, that describe uh, market sensitivity to an overall market, such as beta, for example, um, the volatilities of overall, right? And these are missing, very simply, from the, mm -hmm. from the crypto uh, space. Um, they're kind of open questions, what should I use in place of those, <laughs> right? 
Um, for example, if I want to follow a market neutral kind of approach, how do I hedge against the overall market, right? Uh, there are some indices out there for the crypto assets. Um, at least in my view, the jury is still out in terms of what is commonly kind of widely accepted, right? Uh, and um, quote unquote, an industry practice. Um, the industry itself is kind of um, evolving um, alongside all of the tools essentially that are, um, yeah. that are used. Um, another kind of a challenge on, challenge on that front is uh, with respect to, um, and I'm making kind of the juxtaposition between um, for example, um, um, company characteristics, right? Or um, mm -hmm. equity kind of specific uh, kind of characteristics and crypto ones, right? Um, there's generally kind of um, um, accounting ratios that mm -hmm. are generally kind of acceptable that describe the interesting characteristics of, um, of a company and, and henceforth its equity, right? Um, what is the um, counterparty to that in the crypto market? Yeah. It barely exists, to be more precise, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, for example, um, in certain kind of um, data providers, uh, for example, token terminal that we have um, looked quite a bit, yeah. um, uh, they offer um, metrics such as uh, price to earnings and uh, price to sales, right? Um, what, what are exactly earnings, <laughs> right? Um, one proxy might be the revenue protocol, for example, that they use, right? There's no way to um, estimate the cost though to those, right? Because these are kept off chain. And whenever yeah. something is kept off chain, there's no way to have visibility into the actual metric, right? Uh, and as I mentioned a little bit um, earlier, um, not all of these metrics equally apply to all tokens, right? Um, whereas, um, for example, um, most if not all companies uh, have a, a you know, book to um, price um, um, kind of, uh, um, factor right or characteristic um, that comes from essentially their um, and their accounting ratios um, that essentially describe one aspect of the performance of the company uh, not all tokens have total value locked right meaning essentially the value that is stored in the smart contracts of the tokens that operate on a given blockchain um, some um, some tokens, as you know very well, they have no smart contracts. <laughs> so that uh, creates yet another <laughs> challenge in terms of um, this kind of metric or characteristic or factor, if you'd like, that could potentially help me explain uh, the return of, um, of a given cryptocurrency uh, might exist in one case, might not exist in another, <laughs> right? Accounting ratios tend to exist, exist for all companies, <laughs> right? Um, so this is um, uh, some of the issues that we have actually um, kind of identified so far. Um, others that um, uh, might um, sound um, a bit more straightforward, um, they're, not, they're, not, um, they're not even in the crypto space. Um, for example, technical factors, right? Mm -hmm. um, that essentially pertain to the momentum continuation or reversal of the price, right? Even the long history of uh, companies, um, I'm making the juxtaposition with the um, with, um, equity assets uh, space, yeah. um, you are able to calculate fact uh, momentum over multiple um, terms or periods, you know, one month momentum, 12 months mm -hmm. momentum, longer yeah. than that. You're able to identify essentially how momentum <laughs> as a factor, which is one of the central ones, 
um, correlates to the asset returns in the equity markets, right? Um, what do you do though when you have like barely three years worth of data for uh, most of the crypto assets? Even That's something right. as simple as, as as price momentum, right? That's right. Um, starts becoming uh, um, challenging in its own right, and you start operating at the much kind of smaller time scales that you would not necessarily find too useful um, in a fundamentally driven uh, portfolio. Um, in terms of the rebalancing periods so and so forth, right? So I'm going to geek out here a little bit. I think what you just mentioned is truly fascinating, uh, Petro, is where if you recall when we begin to look into what other factors should we look at, right? So there, there were obvious elements of looking at technical analysis, right? So again, we look at relative strength index, we look at stock to flow for Bitcoin, for example. We look at network value transaction ratios is what is the true utility of a token in the system? We also begin to then look at fundamental analysis. How's the network performing? How is the moving average convergence divergence ratios? What is the looking into, yeah. as you mentioned, the traditional Bollinger band bands for volatility, looking at simple moving averages. But quickly we realized, and I think we, this is between the research call we're looking at to say, hey, it's not probably the right avenue for us to only look at transaction analysis, look at technical analysis and fundamental analysis, the two typical analysis that has been done in traditional markets. But a lot of crypto is driven as a meme, right? There's a whole element of community behind it. There's a meme stock. There's a social intelligence ratios uh, that we begin to look at. But then I also begin to say, hey, that's not good enough. Because we, how do you know, for example, every time Elon would tweet about Doge, Doge would go up. The question is that that's, again, a meme-driven element. How much of activity is happening? Who are contributing to this project? Who's writing code? Who is, if the community is behind it, is the community just trading a token or are they actually contributing to the cause, which increases utility, which is what we've seen with projects like Ethereum and now the Ethereum challengers like Solana and, and Cardano and, and Avalanche. And then we added another category for technical sort of contributions, which is code. We looked at CryptoMiso, for example. Uh, we looked at other, uh, so suddenly now you see the spectrum of data yeah. which has traditionally gone to two or three or four different areas with this traditional accounting, the demand, the economic you know, uh, situation, which is the global macro. Now we have expanded the entire, how do you deal with that diversity? And in, as you write, and you use the word impute quite a bit in our research work, how do you deal with missing information? Because not all this information, if we were to truly create a model that relies on this massive, diverse and broad set of criteria, I, I think it's a mess. I think it, it is. Yeah, <laughs> you, you think right, <laughs> or at least if you look at the data, you definitely <laughs> realize that your <laughs> thinking is definitely right. It's a mess. Um, one kind of uh, interesting uh, comment, uh, first of all, into the factor zoo, right, <laughs> as, I, as I like to call it. Um, Factors is something that uh, started uh, very modestly with uh, pretty much just a single factor back in uh, 1961, in the, again, in the traditional equities um, um, asset space, um, asset class, uh, where you only had the market factor, right? And then, of course, over time, factors started kind of increasing um, um, as people started like essentially um, identifying uh, various kind of drivers that seem to be strongly correlated to, to expected returns in some way. So they added on size and value, they added the momentum, profitability, investment risk. Um, and suddenly, of course, when uh, the various data vendors started um, essentially automating the process and yeah. uh, industrializing it, 
even the classical kind of um, um, traditional asset classes uh, should be saying, the factor started uh, exponentially increasing, right? Sure. <laughs> even, yeah. even in equities, you have easily uh, from um, traditional kind of from uh, vendors, uh, some between to um, between 50 to 100 factors that describes describe all sorts of assets. And um, factors um, broadly cover various categories. So they can be economic, they can describe the economic environment, overall market or country or an industry in the sector. Um, they can describe the trading environment. Uh, for example, the shorting, um, the short interest that the investment community has with respect to a given asset mm -hmm. or the so-called um, active manager um, uh, holdings, uh, typically how much the hedge funds, those above $100 million worth yeah. of portfolio <laughs> value hold. These are all indicators of the trading environment that you can incorporate as factors. You have the technical factors that are based on price and, and the volatility of the momentum and trends and what have you. And as I mentioned, you have also the company-specific factors um, you know such as value profit um, profitability growth and all the variants that these have right um and uh, then you get into uh, so in the, already in the traditional asset classes the space is quite challenging nowadays sure. and um, one of the ways that the people have gone about addressing that space especially uh, considering the fact that many of the factors are correlated with one another they have, for example, collinearities, right? So, mm -hmm. what you um, what you think might be explained by a given factor, um, it might be actually a cause of an underlying couple more, right? Yeah. Um, that's why they say that factors tend to disappear occasionally, right? <laughs> uh, so, um, what the people have started um, using in, in in that in this regard is essentially all sorts of machine learning techniques to provide um, some means of um, automated kind of weighting um, or penalization, if you'd like, in the cases where the factor doesn't seem to be predictive of, um, um, of, of the return, right? And um, pretty much uh, the, the same kind of uh, uh, learnings are quote-unquote transferred now, or at least we are investigating them, I should be saying more precisely. We're at the beginning, at the very... Yeah. Yeah, the very first innings of the journey, not the last ones. <laughs> the game still has more than three hours. <laughs> I think there's still a batting practice, if you want to give the analogy. <laughs> exactly, yeah, even more precisely said. So then the, the, crap, the factors in the crypto space are even, uh, even more. Um, I've been looking into the other, um, the other day, I've been looking into things such as you can incorporate um, with respect to assessing liquidity, right, in the crypto space, the um, inflows and outflows of addresses, right? You have access to those in, for most chains. Uh, even the creation of active sending, receiving uh, new addresses that get created in the various um, um, blockchain um, systems and protocols. You can um, monitor the inflow and outflow of exchanges mm -hmm. uh, themselves, the deposits and withdrawals, right? M much of this stuff is actually there transparent right okay. and um, again that means that you need to start looking into um, relatively advanced techniques in terms of making sense out of this madness um, trying to yeah. separate essentially um, the, the um, factors um, that come from the market and that explain um, um, part of the returns for example of an asset 
from those that are more uh, idiosyncratic, as it's called, right? And those that essentially pertain to the um, specifics of the token and its economics behind it, as well as the um, kind of overall protocol. And um, along with that, as you mentioned, you have all sorts of GitHub contributions, the community that is growing, <laughs> Twitter, <laughs> number of um, people that uh, you know um, follow the particular token in the Twitter and Telegram and the social media, and uh, all sorts of um, um, you know um, source code specific yeah. specifics for each project. Uh, many of those are actually open source. It's uh, easy to monitor. Yeah. Now, you know what's interesting, Petros, is as you describe these complex topics and you so easily comes out of you. Uh, I have sourced the the chaos three, which is a mathematical element to understand the space, which is maybe the wrong way to go about it because that itself is complicated to begin with if you're not a mathematician. Then I went into order in chaos, which is a nature physics uh, concept, which is another crazy element, but you know, chaos three says, for example, uh, when the present determines the future, but the approximate present is not a determinant of approximate future. So it's, it's just complete messy. And as you describe this, I'm drawing upon that complexity that exists in this space, which is either oversimplified by token sales or oversimplified by short-term gains. <clears throat> and as you describe this, to me, you're not just a data scientist, but you're also a domain specialist in understanding how markets function, how markets work. And that's a unique combination that I think that people who are getting into the space, who are trying to make sense of this, both from a data, not just investment and, and trading perspective, but also in understanding what the data is telling us. I think it's, it's just a, a skill that shortens supply, but also I think it's an important skill that I think anybody who's in the space, whether you're a large financial institution or whether you are a company that's figuring out as to how do you build a better token economic system, I think it behooves them to have that level of skill set, which I think is you know what you have is unique. And I'll say this, and, and I could speak for hours in this uh, topic, Petros, because you have opened, again, we speak a lot uh, off, off the podcast as well. And, and every time you have a long list of things that I need to go back and research, because you throw so much at, at a lot of these things. But if I were to get an opportunity, and we should actually, I'm going to ask Derek to have this, is how do you stump your data scientist? That's going to be a category we're going to have, going to have five data scientists. You'll be, you, you know, you'll be one of those. I'm going to, my curveball question would be, Fine, Petros, you've given the entire landscape of the various factors and what we do and the, the, the insufficient data, the market is crazy. How do you freaking calculate NFTs? How do you value non-fungible tokens that have linkages to other projects? I mean, the recent one was the Board 8 Yap Club, which is from Yuga Labs, which uh, had an airdrop of this other side metaverse, which is, gives you a plot of land. And somebody texted me last night, hey man, how, do you have any board, you know, APR club? I'm like, well, not really. Uh, it's like, you know, I got this land. I'm like, what do you do with it? Ah, it's worth so much ETH. I'm like, okay, that's good. But what do you do with the land? What can, this other apes can go on the land. I'm like, and do what on that land? <laughs> uh, and that's a linked economy that you're building two separate systems. And I just don't even know where to start to, first of all, they're nascent, they lack data. I don't even know where to start to value these things. It's just, uh, so to me, the, if, if I were to get a chance to stump the data scientists in the space, that would be my question. Is that would be very challenging for sure because of <laughs> lack of data, right? <laughs> for any data scientist or research scientist, whatever you want to call them, quantitative research, no yeah. data, no research, right? Quantitative. Right. 
or very minimal, I should be saying. Um, yeah. First of all, thank you for, for the very nice uh, words. I'm sure I'm not sure if they're warranted. I'm, I'm still learning myself, right? Um, what I want to say though is that um, it's not a, just a matter. Of, data scientists is a, is a funky term, at least in my view, right? It, it implies that you look into data only, but data try to tell a story and uh, yeah. typically try to describe um, some form of underlying process, right? Yeah. Um, I tried to take a little bit of a broader view um, than the data science itself, um, yeah. more that of a research science in the sense of like um, trying to understand also the fundamental kind of processes underneath and what of characteristics of these processes might be driving the generation of the data as such, right? Um, it's a continuous learning process for everyone, definitely for me, right? Uh, as you said, the, the, the space is evolving so much, so much and so fast that it's uh, challenging, first of all, just to follow it. <laughs> and yeah. even more so to understand it, right? And um, in the end also, it's not just about um, a single model. There's not, I, I don't personally believe that there is in most cases a single model to rule them all. <laughs> um, it's usually a combination of techniques and models, each one of which um, essentially reveals a different kind of aspect of, um, of uh, whatever is being studied, right? Of the item of study. And, um, and eventually linkages and probably some sort of graph analytics would find their place yeah. to, make, to make sense of the linkages amongst the you know, different spaces of the metaverse, right? <laughs> uh, as well as the different markets themselves. Yeah, well, that's your humility, my friend, and and I've always approached this industry with sense of humility, that I, we all for have sure. been in this space for quite some time, and I'm st I think I still I'm learning, and you know, you you look at these projects and you can't get enough of it because you don't want to be left yep. behind. But I've come to a conclusion that you can't know everything. It's just so much going on in the space. Uh, whether you look at from a VC's lens, you look at from a token fund lens, which is what we are doing here, or you look at technologists, which is also how I started, right? As a technologist, I'm looking at this in terms that's of right. consensus. What drives it? Uh, and you have new terms, new skill sets, token economic systems, and how does it impact? So there's so much going on in this space. So I, I appreciate the sense of humility, Petros. Though I think we should make this a monthly thing with you, is bringing you and a few of our you know, research team to talk about this in a more comprehensive manner, uh, simplifying this complex landscape. And, and I, I do want to thank you for your one expertise and skill. And your time, Absolutely. I know we all are like heads down different things. And at the same time, appreciate your acumen, Petros. Uh, it's such a joy and pleasure to work with you. And we are fortunate, I'm fortunate to, to spend the time with you and, and, and learn the process. So thank you for coming like, and I'll pull you back I, I in. Like, I would like to echo the sentiment, first of all. Thank <laughs> thanks you. for having me and uh, thanks for the collaboration uh, with you and Derek and uh, the whole team. Um, a sense of humility, especially with financial data, and financial markets is not um, uh, just uh, nice to have, is a must have, <laughs> given how <laughs> they, they're non-stationary, uh, yeah. they change all the time, there's drifts. Um, the, the most uh, challenging data is essentially the financial data uh, to analyze. Um, hardly any of the underlying um, processes that drive essentially this data are really well um, understood by anyone. Um, so much more for me. So in that sense, uh, a sense of humility is, is a must. Important. That's well said, well said. Well, thanks again and uh, see you Thank soon. Thank you very much. And until next Absolutely. week. Bye-bye, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. 
We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please feel free to connect with either Nitin or myself on nitin at portal.am or derek at portal.am. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week. Bye for now.